Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, everybody, this conversation is, gosh, it's one that I was hoping to have for a long time. And at the HPB Expo this year, I was able to track down Wayne Streitzman and just chat about what would it take to put this together. And I'm so thankful that him and Joel and Karen were a part of it because today we're going to be talking about the issue of electrification. Now, we have talked about this on the podcast before, and I feel we talk about it, you know, a couple times every season, but this is an issue that that is not going away, and I am absolutely convinced that the fight for natural gas will occupy our industry for the next 10 years. And and truly, it's the battlegrounds of, of, of will we have natural gas as, as an option at all? Because all over the place, this is under threat of, of going away completely. And I would say that most retailers do not take this issue seriously enough. They think that it won't happen. They think it's in different parts of the country. And I'm telling you, it is not. We, we talk about this, you know, as, as we get into it today, but, but this issue of electrification, the banning of natural gas and things like that in favor of other sources of energy, this is not a new conversation. You know, I was, I was talking with an industry expert fairly, fairly recently, you know, and, and, and they were saying that, that this is 10 years in the making, right? So it's not like we're going to win this one-time victory. Hey, good job, everybody. Pat ourselves on the back. No, no, like pack a lunch. This issue is here to stay, and we've got to be aware of it. So I know I'm coming out really intense out of the gates, but in today's interview, we dive deep on this. And talking with Wayne and Karen and Joel, they're really living on the front lines in the Northeast slash New England area of the country. And like in New York in particular, where Wayne Streitzman lives, there are just some major legislative issues that are going on. In Massachusetts, they were leading the way in natural gas bans. You know, where I live out here in the Pacific Northwest, we see it all over over the place in Washington and, and in the state of Oregon where, where I am. And this is a really big deal. Now, what what I want to be really clear about too is I, I feel like for me, I, I walk this really, I don't know, like like nuanced position where like I want to lower the carbon output in our atmosphere. And I am absolutely for finding ways to reduce our emissions and clean up air quality. And, and like I want a safe and healthy planet for our kids. I think that sometimes in our industry, we can just say, oh, we're just against this government regulation. I don't know, man. I, th- I think that, that the heart of this regulation is right. Now, whether it's executed right or not, I, you know, I can't say I, I agree there. But I think the heart behind this is correct. And, and as an industry, I feel like we must position ourselves as part of the solution or we will be absolutely crushed. So as, as you listen to this today, I would just say, you know, I would take some notes and my hope is at the end of it, you are inspired to contact your local HPBA affiliate and get involved in the conversation. One of the things that we discuss is that you can actually get to know the folks in legislation in your state. Many of your state representatives, you know, they, they go to school with your kids. Maybe you go to church with them. These are real people that, that you should be getting to know and just making aware of these issues, even if it's not in your neck of the woods yet, 
it will be. So we need to start preparing for it. I'm going to jump out of the way so you can hear this conversation. There's a lot of thoughts I have on the back end, but in the meantime, get out a pen and paper and buckle up because this is a very, very important conversation. Joining me from the East Coast, from Sudbury, Massachusetts, Brockton, Massachusetts, and Albany, New York, is a team that works together for the Northeast HPBA. I'm joined today by Karen Arpino, Wayne Streitzman, and Joel Etter. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Doing great, Tim. How are you? I'm doing really good. You know, this is a topic that is extremely relevant, and you know, we we haven't we haven't talked enough about it. And I'm really excited to to really dive deep in this episode and kind of give people a primer on exactly what's going on. And and maybe we can just cut straight to the chase. I'll, I'll frame it out here, and then I'd, I'd like to turn it over to the three of you. So there's a major issue on our hands in in this industry, and it's it's the the battle of electrification. And this is something that it is happening nationwide, but in particular, we've got these different segments of the country where fossil fuels and biomass are are actively being pushed out in favor of electrification, whether that's renewables or, you know, in, in some way, shape or form, whether it's coal or natural gas that's generating electricity, basically finding a way to push out any alternative fuels. This is really coming to a head in the New York and New England area. We're seeing it in California and out where I am in in the Pacific Northwest, particularly in Washington. It's a major, major deal. And for folks who are listening, who are not in those parts of the country, it might be easy to think, oh, well, that's just something that happens on the East Coast or on the West Coast. And I think our conversation today is going to show that, that this is not going away. This is, this is a major, major deal. And maybe to start out, Karen, we could start with you. You have been on this bandwagon really as, as the leader of the Northeast HPBA for the last three years championing this. Can you talk about just the journey that's led to where we are? Sure. All of a sudden in 2019, um, I got a call from one of the members from the Board of Building Regulations and Standards in Massachusetts um, telling me about something called net zero. And did you know it's on the docket tomorrow? <laughs> so we found out with for less than 24 hours. Um, wow. Advance notice that uh, Boston built B- the BBRS is going to be um, potentially considering a stretch energy code, which is an energy code that municipalities can opt into if they'd like. Keeping in mind that in Massachusetts, we have 371 communities and only 75 do not opt into that stretch code. So let's call it 300 do. Um, Massachusetts was uh, on the verge of creating a stretch code for net zero uh, building emissions. And so in less than 24 hours, Joel and I threw together uh, a group of patriots and I wrote up some (laughs) comments and uh, we met there that day. There was probably six of us and uh, we started our journey and our quest to um, make alliances and coalitions here in Massachusetts, and we've 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 developed a bunch of really good relationships with people who are working along the same lines as we did. And that day, it did not pass. Sure, and and I'm going to leave the uh, the Patriots double entendre aside to ask you, Joel. So, what was it like for you coming into this? What was this stretch code? What was what was it that was that was trying to be done here? We were frantically typing things up on our phone, trying to figure out what we were going to say. It was pretty crazy. It was only a couple of us in the room. And uh, I remember that that day was the start of it. 
and uh, you know, since then, Karen and I have been on a kind of a whirlwind tour. Sure. And I, and I think this goes back a few years, you know, we've seen a lot. I, I live in Portland, Oregon, you know, right on the border of Oregon and Washington, pretty much. And up in Seattle, we, we saw this starting again a few years ago where there was a, an ordinance basically just to, to ban uh, natural gas and new construction. And we rallied the troops. We, we did some work and, and it was temporarily suspended, but not, not gone away by any means. And in the state of Washington right now, I want to say that there's like more than seven bills that are circulating through the different legislatures that are directly about electrification and the elimination of natural gas. And I, I want to, I'll tell another story in a little bit, but Wayne, maybe you could talk about where things are in New York. Cause you're a little bit further South of where Joel and Karen are. So things uh, started here a little bit differently, but kind of the same. Um, and it all started back, I believe in 2018, as you know, the U S pulled out of the, uh, Paris treaty, uh, climate change agreement. And when that happened in New York, New York, uh, took up the flag here and they passed a, a law that set forth guidelines for um, basically decarbonization via the method of electrification. And uh, in that movement, they they set goals for 2030, 2040, 2050. And uh, they didn't have a plan on how to get there, but they formed what they call the Climate Action Committee, which was a number of stakeholders in many different areas of, of uh, transportation, uh, you know, construction, building, uh, energy, uh, all kinds. And in that, they then developed a draft plan for a plan forward. Now, this is where they are today. That initial draft has been completed. December 31st of this year, it was complete. And just some of the highlights that I can give you is that uh, in that plan as proposed, which they're now in public hearings and stuff, but in that plan, just for an example, in 2024, January 1, 2024, no more natural gas going to any new construction. So no expansion of the into new homes. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> that means we do a lot of new construction in our industry, and it means no more gas burning fireplaces. It also means no more gas burning furnaces. It means no more gas burning ranges, hot water heaters, no more natural gas. Shortly thereafter that, they also, 2035, no more internal combustion engines. You will, everything will be an electric car in 2035. So this has really come to the forefront here on the Climate Action Committee in New York State. And uh, it, it's just very, gonna be very, very impacting on not just our industry, but but on the people, because once the, the general public really find out what's in it, they really are not as happy to move this quickly into uh, decarbonization as this plan wants to move. Yeah. Because they want to be very, very net zero very quickly. Yeah. You know, so so as we talk about this, I'm on the West Coast. You guys are on the other side of the country on the East Coast. And, and these things are really popping up. And this is not like in the last couple of months. I mean, this is years, like three, four years that we've been talking about this. But I was in Colorado last year for the, the Rocky Mountain HPBA conference. And 
it was crazy because they they had someone come in to talk about what's going on in the in the legislature in Colorado. And the gentleman that came and spoke basically said that at that point there was like 27 different electrification type energy bills in the legislature that were circling. And what this guy said is he said, this is not a Democrat versus Republican issue, because at least in this state, everybody is on board. And the reason why is that there is big money behind this. And he went into all these different things about, about industry and, 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 you know, battery sales and all this stuff. And you could, you know, you could agree or disagree with his speculation on that, but essentially like his message to the industry, someone, someone talked about, well, what should we do? Right. I mean, we can't fight 27 different bills. Something's going to get through. He said, what would you do if you were in our shoes and you owned a retail store that sold wood and and gas products, primarily gas. And this guy's answer was, I would start diversifying. Now, I think that that's, there's wisdom in that. Uh, That's pretty pessimistic. But I think that we have to understand the severity of this, that that this is not a one-time event. Like we're talking California, Pacific Northwest, Colorado, New York. Like this is spreading all over the country and this issue is not going away. I was talking to Rachel Feinstein before she left the HPBA right around the expo time. And she just said, Tim, this stuff is, it is literally 10 years in the making. There, there have been things that have been set by legislatures going 10 plus years back that is just now coming to fruition. This is not accidental. And you have to realize like you, you might overcome one small bill in some city, right? Some ordinance or something, but, but that's not, that's not a victory because this is a, this is an issue on a scale that we haven't, we haven't dealt with anything at this scale and this severity before. And I don't say that to be, to be a pessimist simply just to say that, that this issue is incredibly serious and, we have to come together. And I, and I know that, that, that you guys think most retailers around the country are not prepared for this, right? No. Tim, the, the one thing we have to realize is we're not going to stop electrification, but we have to slow it down to the point where technology catches up so that we're not rushing to electrification where we're going to have all these problems where the grid can't handle it. You know, like, like Wayne just said, you know, no, no new cars uh, with gasoline cars uh, after 2035. That alone will blow up the grid. I mean, the grid can't handle all of those cars from New York uh, going on the grid. That's just one little thing that's not that little. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing that needs to happen is a conversation uh, needs to develop around renewable natural gas and hydrofuels. And that's starting to happen here in Massachusetts and New York. And there is an ability for our industry to diversify, I think is the word that you used, or to uh, evolve, right? We're, what we're requesting, what we are interested in is, as Joel said, is enough runway, right, to be able to make those changes. You know, I, I think that one one thing that we got to make really clear, and I, I want to talk about, you know, what what we can do as retailers and distributors and manufacturers in, in the various parts of the country that we're in, whether or not this has has cropped up as an emergency issue yet. I want to talk about that, but maybe before I do, I'd like to frame, Joel, what, what you said was really interesting, where you said, we won't stop it, 
but we need to slow it down until technology catches up. You know, there's there's so much truth in there in the sense that we do not have the technology right now. The grid cannot physically handle it. It, it like you can't. You know, and then you get into to the idea of like what about a what about a backup source of of energy, of power, of heat, that sort of thing, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket is usually not a not a wise move. But all of that aside, I think that where where we have failed as an industry is on two fronts. I think number one, we have failed to have any kind of coherence with a unified message. And number two is I think that we have positioned ourselves against the solution to the problem. So if you think about this from from the, the legislature's perspective, the problem is that we've we've got, you know, climate change, we've got greenhouse gas emissions, we've got global warming, we've got all these different things. And whether you agree, disagree, or or otherwise with those things, that is the narrative, and that narrative will not change. It's not going to change. So you have the choice of saying, no, climate change is not real. I want to grow my business and it doesn't matter about global warning warming. I'm going to fight this initiative and you look like an idiot. Or you can say, we want to help you clean up the environment. We want to help lower our carbon output, but this is not the path to do it. We want to be part of the solution using biomass and natural gas. And I don't think as at least what I've seen at, at the national level, not, not speaking at individual pockets, I think at the national level, I don't think we've done an effective job saying we are on the same team. We want to be part of the solution. This is how we do it. We talk about wanting to be part of the solution, but we got to bring hard facts of how we are part. Oh, 100%. In biomass itself, just by, as Joe said, the change out programs. I mean, the units today are more efficient than the old smoke dragons. So you're going to burn less wood to begin with. And then, of course, they burn it a lot cleaner. So some studies or some work I've seen said that we can reduce our contribution of of greenhouse gases by 60 percent by you just switching millions of old wood burning stoves to new wood burning product. And the narrative on natural gas is that, you know, we're a space heater, which in turn, rather than heat the whole house, it takes a lot less natural gas or propane gas to heat a relatively smaller area, much like Europe does, with natural gas, which will, once again, maybe save as much as 40% on your, your total consumption. And that's not even until we get into the safety. The safety of having uh, a, a, a reliable source of heat, all we got to do is look at Texas. To, what was it? A year yeah. ago? Over 200 people. Yep, 246 people died. Yeah. 246 people died. Exactly. Why? Because they did not have any resiliency or backup. And both of our solutions, our, our livelihoods, provide that kind of comfort and protection. For sure. We're, we're not against climate change. We're for it. As Karen said, we want to be. We, we know we need to affect our climate. We need decarbonization. But... Those are things right there. We could get there as well as solving the other problems of safety for people. 
Yeah. A voice that I've really started to listen to is Robert Bryce. He's out of Austin, Texas. He's been on this podcast before and he writes for Forbes magazine and a, a variety of other of other uh, sources as well. He has, a, he has a podcast called the Power Hungry Podcast, and this guy is unbelievable. Like, honestly, he needs to be the keynote speaker at next year's expo. What I think he's done such a good job of is I've heard him say, I mean, this guy is, he understands the way that that power and electricity works is distributed at, at a level that is, is beyond anything I can even touch. But what he says is he he's so against this electrification thing for a few reasons. He talks about when it comes to you know, renewables and, and, and things like that, you can only turn them down and off. So, so that's really hard. You know, if, if, if you had a, if you had a car that only ran 30% of the time and you didn't know which 30% of the time it was going to run, would you make that your only car? No, like you'd have to have a backup car, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with a car that runs 30% of the time, but gosh, like you don't want to need to go somewhere and, and, and the car doesn't start. And, and that's the analogy that he paints for renewables. And, and that, that doesn't even get into like the waste and, and maintenance and every, everything like that, that that comes with them. But, but he, he says at the end of it, like, I'm, I, I'm pro-electrification in the sense that I want to lower our carbon output, but I'm pro-human. And what, what gets lost in these conversations of like, quote, environmental justice is that that's a very highbrow term, Right. I mean, when when you look at that situation in in Texas, right, folks that only had access to electricity, well, that was, quote, environmental justice, but over 200 people died because they they didn't have a backup source. And so, you know, we we do want to do our part in stewarding this planet. There's no question about that. But at the same time, like human life is, is is so important and and we have to hold that in perspective as we have these conversations of just what happens when a family doesn't have a backup source of heat, right? If, if, if my heat only works when the power's on and we know that even with the grid today, the power goes out at times, both planned and unplanned, and then we put a, a load on the grid it's never seen before, like we know that there's going to be outages and we have to have some kind of contingency and that's where our, you know, in particular, like natural gas is such an amazing thing because when it comes to electricity generation, natural gas, you can turn on to generate electricity. It doesn't just turn down and off. You can turn it on. And and I think that that needs to be part of the conversation. That's what we've done in the Northeast with, with Karen being on all these coalitions is saying, you know, we want to be a stakeholder. We want to be part of the solution. We're such a small part of the actual problem. You know, when you think about how regulated our our industry is on the, on the wood side, uh, you know, what's two two grams per hour is is nothing. It's like a matchstick. Um, but yet, and we we keep pushing these wood changeout programs, um, and they they fall on deaf ears. But uh, the ones where we've been able to change it out has made substantial changes. You know, on the on the gas side, we're just an ancillary product that's going to get you know pushed off to the side because the heating systems are going to no longer be you know, gas, they're going to be um, electric. So, you know, they're not going to run a line into the house just for a, a stove and a fireplace. It's just not enough for the gas company. So, you know, that's where, where we've got to, uh, you know, be part of the solution and figure out a way to keep fireplaces in the house. There's four absolutes lenses that we have to look at this through equity, affordability, resiliency, and economic development. And with all, all electric heat 
absolutely puts elderly and low income at risk. And in the Northeast, at least, we have some of the most, the most expensive electricity costs in the country. Connecticut has the most expensive electric in the country. And by law, the, the plans have to reduce the cost of electricity to rate payers. But in January, last January, on January 22nd, 2021, electricity was $40 per megawatt hour. And at the same temperature, uh, very, very little change in temperature fluctuation from 2021 to 2022, very little demand change. It was a source change. We paid over $200 per megawatt hour for electricity in January, on January 21st, 2022. Wow. Um, And then resiliency. We have to have an all of the above approach natural gas, renewable natural gas, solar, wind, and emerging technologies that haven't been invented yet. Pipeline infrastructure is 99.9% storm-proof. People are safe with fossil fuel. And then, of course, economic development, rising electricity costs means rising business costs, rising cost of, li- of, of living in, in it, in it pretty much every time ensures economic leakage, right? People, you can't do business that way. You can't live that way. Yeah. And I, th- I think it was you, Karen, that, that mentioned the ideas of, of renewable natural gas and, and of even the, the combination of of hydrogen and natural gas. So out, out here in Portland, our natural gas utility, they're called Northwest Natural. They've been very proactive on this front with renewable natural gas and with mixing hydrogen into natural gas so that we can store energy. And, and these technologies are still emerging, but but they put together a, a study. Like in Oregon, we've got some pretty aggressive carbon goals for, for 2050. And Northwest Natural put together a study saying that, that those goals actually can be achieved with current technology by utilizing natural gas as, as a bridge fuel. And essentially, when, when renewables put out this energy that right now, you know, with battery technology... In just a matter of hours, that energy is is wasted if it's not if it's not used, you know. So so if, if the energy is not needed, you can't hold on to it. But they, they can they can turn that electricity into hydrogen. They can use natural gas to essentially store it and make it a, a, a battery that's a that's a much lower carbon natural gas that can then be used in inside of pipelines and in homes. Again, this is still technology that's that's developing to some degree, but the way that they put this together showed that this this really can be a, a viable solution. And I I think that those are the kinds of things that we have to be really talking about because our industry has a chance. You know, if 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 we can keep natural gas as part of the equation, can our fireplaces burn with a combo of hydrogen and natural gas? Like I'm not sure, but man, if I was a manufacturer, gosh dang it, I would be partnering with a natural gas utility like right now to start testing that and like bring those things forward. We'll get back to our conversation in just one second. Hey, this is Tim with the Firetime Podcast. And if you're listening to this and thinking, how was I not aware? Or, you know, what's it going to take for me to be in the loop? Well, you need to be paying attention to the Firetime Magazine. This is a digital magazine. It comes out every single month, and it is solely focused on helping you grow your team and your company in our industry. 
The hearth industry very classically is tight-fisted. It's been very difficult for us to share information, and we're blowing the roof off of that with the Firetime Magazine. Now, you can get it through the Firetime Magazine app, which is available in both the Android and the Apple app stores. You just got to type in Firetime Magazine, or we also have it available as a podcast. If you search your podcast catcher for the Firetime Magazine podcast, you're going to see that every month we put out our articles in an audio format. So if you're listening while you're in the truck or if you want a team member to hear it, it's an incredible way to stay in the loop with what's going on. So there's no excuse. You need to start reading or listening to the Firetime Magazine today. You know, a real problem is that we're all short-term thinkers. And this problem didn't come to us overnight. And the solution won't come to us overnight either. And it's and we have to start thinking long-term. And we can't just think that we're just going to just turn the switch and the problem's going to go away. We're going to need a transition. It's during that transition that the technology will develop. Okay, we always have. We're a smart country. We will develop. Yeah, that's right. And it will may be that that you know all this stuff, biomass as well as you know all kinds of gases are going to be part of the solution. I know in Europe they put a lot of emphasis on biomass over there. Matter of fact, right even right today, as Ukraine is getting invaded, uh, we're we're exporting more and more pellets to Europe by the minute and putting a little bit of a an issue with supply to some degree, I hear. So we, we have to think long-term and we, we gotta be part of the solution. And none of this action that we just described at the affiliate level comes without expense. We haven't even talked about that, but the reality is that it's not, not inexpensive. And just at a time when the affiliates who are gonna wage the battle on the front line are not receiving funding, from the trade show like we used to. So we have to come up with that funding somewhere too. And um, I mean, I'll, I'll be right forward with this, that during this past pandemic, the retailers made a lot of money. Uh, by and large, they made a lot of money. And it's, now's the time for people to rise to the cause. Yeah. And the cause is we've got to be part of the solution. We've got to bring our message forward. We've got to be part of the the whole defense of this too fast on electrification. The price increases that Karen talked about come from the crazy actions that they're doing. They decommissioned the Yankee nuclear power plant. They just decommissioned the Indian Point one, the Pilgrim one. And when that supply dries up, there is more. You've got to pay more for replacing it. And that's when the people suffer because they can't afford their electric bill. Yeah. I mean, wind, wind and solar are great alternatives, uh, but they're not the answer. It's great when it's sunny out. It's great when it's windy out. We just don't have the technology to store it. And like you said, turn the switch on and off. And along those lines, by decommissioning that nuclear, by closing our pipe, our, our, ga- our gas pipelines, we utilized coal, oil, natural gas, and propane. Um, coal was burned at 14% in January. It's usually around 0.3%. Nuclear, which is the cleanest form, burned at 22. It's typically 28. 
and um, 12% of New England's uh, electricity was produced using coal, which is the dirtiest. And it used to be 0.9 and it was 12%. So in January, we didn't just have the most expensive electricity we've had in decades. We had the dirtiest electricity we've had in decades. And so think about that. Like, think about that. You know, I, it's just, we're, 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 what, what Wayne said is right. We're, we're just, we're, we're going about it wrong. We're, you know, we're, we're pretending that right now we're pretending that we're, you know, closing gas lines. And so, you know, we're going to try and use these renewables, which we don't have yet. So we're burning coal and we're burning propane to make electricity. So we're, we have the dirtiest fuel we've ever had. Well, what you're what you're bringing up, Karen, is is that this is a this is a nuanced conversation, right? It's it's easy to run for office saying I'm going to shut down the pipelines and we're going to make this state green. That's I mean, great. That's an easy message, but the conversation is far more complicated than that, and 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 it's it really requires us to master that nuance and and again to say, hey, I, I know what you're trying to do, but have you thought about what happens when you shut down those pipelines? What what the source of, of the energy that you're going to be using is going to be when, when you said that this problem didn't come overnight and the solution won't, won't come overnight either. I think that that's, that's really profound and it doesn't change the, the, like the severity of the, of the climate issue that, 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 that that's extremely severe, but there's a, there's a difference between rushing into something and looking at it from, from all different angles and then establishing a, a direct path. And, and this definitely feels like a, like a rush job. Uh, we, could, we could go off on this for a long time. And I really want to focus in on this. What can companies be doing across the country? If I'm in the Midwest, if I'm in Texas, if I'm in the Pacific Northwest, if, if I'm just starting to hear about this, what can companies be doing? Retailers, distributors, manufacturers. Karen, what, what, do, you, what do you think people can be doing? Joel and I have had over 52 um, in-person legislative meetings with the legislators in our region, introducing them to our small retailers, introducing them to distributors and um, some of our manufacturers. And I have to tell you that you know, many of these politicians, that's a whole nother conversation as far as sh this isn't a short term problem. They want to pass this stuff within their term. And that's a problem. But many of these politicians, they want to do the right thing, just like we do. Right. They want to do they want to affect climate change and they want to make the right decisions. They can't think of everything on their own. They're having these plant tours and they're having these they're finding out about the technology and they're listening to these, these small business owners and they're hearing from both sides of the aisle, by the way, and they're learning something and they're understanding that this can work. And um, they can also be writing to their, they, they have to be meeting their legislators and they have to be participating in the comment process, the letter writing and the verbal in-person or in Zoom <laughs> um, comment process, it's effective. And, you know, we've gotten a name for ourselves now in Massachusetts, in New York, because we participate so well as an association. But what, what I'll say is we need leadership and leadership at this point in connectivity. We need leadership at the affiliate level to lead the charge. We need conductivity with all our members. We, we need to get connected with our members. We need to get our members activated. 
I, I went to a legislative reception last night. Now, I was meeting with different legislators in New York State. You know, I'm, I met with a guy from Binghamton, New York. Now, I would be much more effective if, if I could have connected that regional dealer in Binghamton, New York, with that legislator, because he wanted to know what's going on. How does it affect? What's, how will it affect my people in my area? So we need to get connected at the affiliate level, affiliate to affiliate, affiliate to members, members to their their re- local uh, representation. I talked with my guy, John McDonald, last night. And, you know, hi, Wayne, how you doing? Yeah, he's one of my customers. He wants to hear what I got to say. We need co- connection and we got to get involved and we got to get the members but the members, the leadership is going to come from the affiliates on developing the communication and the narrative. Yeah. You know, and, and Wayne, we talked offline before we, we turned the mics on. You really believe that where we're going to make the change is at the affiliate level, that, that that's where it needs to start is with your local affiliate. It's a local issue. It's happening in every town you know, across the Northeast. I'm sure it's happening every town across the country. And, and unless the people who live in those towns get involved, you know, we can't make any changes. You know, Karen and I went to uh, one of the uh, town meetings early on, and uh, we listened to, to both sides, and actually we were the only ones against it at the time. But, um, you know, when all said and done, the, the town, uh, the mayor said, you know, we don't know what we're doing. We're probably going to get sued. We have to do something, so we need to pass this bill. Before my term is up. Before my term is up, exactly. That was his legacy. Can you talk about connection? Karen, tell the story about the the letter or the, the contact uh, one we just did in New York. You had so much. How many people wrote letters to their representatives? Yeah, we have 90, uh, 90 members in New York, and um, we have about 90 members in in a, a, a a little over a week ago, we had already sent at a membership base 391 letters to the the Climate Action Council and to Governor Hochul. And everyone that we spoke with at the reception in Atlanta, who was from New York, had not only submitted the letters, they had had their employees submit the letters. They left it open at their point of sale. They had customers submitting the letters. They had submitted the letters to their builders so their builders could submit letters. Um, New York has become engaged. That's the connectivity that we need. And but when we get connected and, and common narrative, action happens. And then the representative listen, because they they don't want to go against their their people they represent. Yeah, they don't. You know, I, I think about a couple things. Seth Godin has a marketing exercise he does where you know, he's teaching in a room full of people and he says, Hey everybody, can you clap? And everybody claps. It's all at different times. And then he goes, okay, one, two, three, and everybody claps. And there's a major difference between when 400 people clap in unison and when you tell everybody, clap, you know? And, and I, I think there's, there's two things that, that need to happen here. You know, as an action item, I, I think, you know, Wayne, to piggyback on what you said about leadership and connectivity, and, and what you said too, Karen, is if, if you're listening to this as an owner of a retailer... I, I think that it falls on you to where you should probably take one day a month and try to spend it 
with a legislator or with with you know some representative of, of government in your town in your state and and getting access to that is is actually a lot easier than than you might think but i think that that has to happen at the ownership level you know if you actually want this industry to be around and you want to be a part of the solution i mean gosh one day a month one day every two months for a lunch that's that's not that big of a deal we've set up those conversations in people's uh in in their shops and oh yeah uh, we've, the dealers that are very enthusiastic about it and the legislators are too. Yeah, they are. They love it. I mean, I, I, and it's very effective. It's so effective. We have a couple of legislators here now in Massachusetts. And of course I, you know, I've been talking about Massachusetts. I live here, Massachusetts and New York are two of the most, the quickest moving States, but I run into legislators now who know who I am and, or, and, and know who Northeast HPBA are. And I have people on the, um, you know, on the, that, that tell me, legislators who tell me my favorite thing to do when I get home is turn on my gas fireplace and read my book for an hour. And that's a wonderful thing to hear from a state legislator who's on the, you know, the TUE committee, which was transportation, utilities and energy. You know, you want that Senate, that house rep to say that to you. Well, I think it is relationship building. And, and like you said, I mean, again, if, if, if you're a business owner, take one day a month, one day every two months and reach out to your HPB affiliate and say, hey, can I get some kind of a meeting with a state representative? Or, it, it, those things, can they're easier than you think to book. And, and, and that sounds like, oh my gosh, how am I going to give up a day or two days? I'll, I'll tell you just from personal experience, like by giving up that time, and, and having these meetings, you will grow as a person. Like you will become a better business person. You will become more connected. Like it will, it will selfishly benefit you, I think, just as much as the time that you're giving up. But the other thing, in, in addition to making the time, is it goes back to that clap analogy. I believe that as an industry, we must come together and put together a cohesive message. And you know, I'd be happy to be a part of that. Uh, there's other people that could do a good job with it as well. Uh, you know, any of you could do a good job, but I, I honestly think, I mean, like for me, anytime I'm going to make a product, do an announcement, an event, a marketing initiative of any kind, we come together, we spend about three hours putting together a one page document that is our brand message. And there's a formula that we, we go through to create this message. We think about, you know, who is the person in the audience that we're trying to reach? What's the pain or the problem they're experiencing? How do we come along empathetic with a solution to that problem? We go through this whole thing. We come up with this message. And at the end of it, what we say is we, we give it to everyone. And we said, when you, when you do your email marketing, when you go and you call someone to, to sell this or talk about it, you can say anything you want as long as it harmonizes with this. You know, if you want to read this verbatim, you can. If you want to ad lib, you can. It's got to harmonize. If it does not harmonize with what is on this page, don't say it because it's white noise. That's everybody clapping on their own, you know, and I feel like we have to do that at the national level and it can be, it can, there can be nuance to it again as we, as we work on this regionally, but we have to have some kind of coherent message going forward. I agree with you, Tim, uh, but you know, as you know, I've been involved nationally for six years and we're not waiting. Okay, so here in the Northeast, we're going to take the bull by the horns. We're going to do exactly what you said. Our first thing is to identify the problem, get everybody that our membership to see what the problem is, make uh, get them aware. The next step is to develop our narrative 
And then the third step is to bring that out to them on a, on a local level. If it needs to be with our meet and greets, we're going to take, take the message to the, to the front lines and let them know. We're going to teach them how, what they need to, how to do this stuff. It's one thing to say, yes, it's easy to get a hold of your legislator, but we're going to teach them how to do it. We'll teach them where the website is. Yeah. And we're unified to, or just like any army, you have to train the army to be effective in the war. And that's what we're going to do here in the Northeast. And I agree with you. We need to do it nationally, but we're not waiting any longer. The other thing that's effective and important to understand, too, is every single one of our legislators and governors in the Northeast is up for re-election, right? Mm. So just just setting up these conversations, they're going to do this now. You know, they're going to come meet their constituents and come listen and come talk because they're all up for re-election, every single one of them. Yeah. We've been working on a one-pager and trying to put together bullet points and trying to simplify it as best we could to have a unified uh response the problem is the the message keeps evolving from state to state um you know we're we're in seven states in the northeast so uh but it's quickly getting very similar they're, they're starting to copy each other so we're i think we're, we're going to get to a point where we can get that that single message out because it's getting before it was very uh fragmented it's not as much it's fragmented any longer yeah well, I'm I'm so thankful for this conversation, and and this has been this has been heavy and it's been serious, and it may not sound like there's a lot of hope, and I I think that that the question of is there hope, it it really comes down to are we willing to act, and if we are not willing to act, I would say that there is no hope. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring my analogies in here, and none of us had hope for the Ukrainians when this invasion started, but what happened? They, the people came together. They sent their women and children off and the men stayed and they, they joined the fight. So I'm never going to accept that it's not going to be capable of doing it. We are going to do it and it's going to happen. So, yes. I, I definitely agree that there's hope. We've had too many successful conversations and we've come so far as an affiliate, and we have name recognition now, which did you ever think we would? Uh, we've become part of the stakeholder process in Massachusetts. We've become part of a massive coalition in New York. Um, I'm, I'm talking to people on a, at a, on a casual and first name basis that I never thought I would be speaking on a level playing field that I never thought that the Northeast HPBA would be speaking with. And and we are held in regard and, um, you know, people are ta- are listening to what we have to say in in two really fast moving states. I, I absolutely think there's hope. Absolutely. You could see in the last uh, public uh, uh, comment section for, for New York, I was on last week and typically before they kind of just forge forward and you could see that they've slowed down and they're actually thinking through saying that. We don't have the answers. We do have to think this through where, you know, a year ago it was, they weren't thinking about it. They're just doing it. Well, yeah. You know, I'm appreciative that you are all leading the way and, and kind of giving us a path to follow for folks who are listening to this podcast in the Northeast area, whether that's new England or New York, anywhere that, that the, that the Northeast HPBA covers, what's the best way 
for someone who's been sitting on the sidelines, either not a member of the Northeast HPBA or not active, what what's a, an email address, a website? Where can they go to 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 become part of the solution? Karen K A R E N at nehpba.org, which is stands for Northeast HPBA, or just nehpba.org, and you can hit the contact us button. We'd love to have a conversation. I love it. Well, you guys have given us a ton of value on this major issue and and we're really thankful for the work that you're doing. I know that it's often a thankless job and you can't make you can't make everybody happy, but you guys are are standing firm and you're leading the way. So thanks for being a part of this podcast today. Thanks for having us, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Much appreciated. Thanks, Tim. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I love getting the chance to talk to them. Me and Wayne served on the HPBA board together for a little while, and he is just a mover and a shaker. He's somebody that's built a very successful business, and and even though he's handed off the reins mostly, he is not going quietly into the night, and Wayne is just a just a champion in our industry that I, I look to as, as someone that I, w- I want to be like. You know, talking to, to Joel and Karen, it's amazing the work that they're doing is so thankless. There's so many retailers that are not paying attention. They're just complaining about, well, hey, man, why isn't this getting done? Why can't the HPBA do this? And I and I think that, that this is this is the work that that many people don't pay attention to. You know, um, it's just it, it, it's very hard, I imagine, to to be such a servant in that position. And and I think that this interview really highlighted some of the things that are going on, and and especially for Karen, like what this has done in transforming her role. So we, we covered a lot of things, you know, I, I think that this idea of environmental justice is so important and we're kind of seeing that word get hijacked all over the place now to to meet, you know, very often there's like a political connotation to it and, and I think that justice is incredibly important and, and I think that, you know, we do owe our environment justice and fairness, right? Like we've we've treated our environment pretty poorly. One of the difficult things, though, when people use that word is they they tie, you know, all, all of the um, emotions to it that, that come with other forms of justice. And very often it can make you feel like you're going to be on the wrong side of history if you're against, say, this natural gas ban or anything like that. Well, I was, I was reading a great article by Robert Bryce the other day, and it was basically an, an article about how right currently – in the in the renewable energy space, there's a company that provides a lot of wind energy that is being indicted by the feds for slaughtering hundreds of bald eagles every year, knowingly not filing for permits, not listening to government regulations saying you're going to be really careful when you build these wind turbines here because you're, you're going to be destroying the bird population. And, and the article really highlights kind of the, the darker side of some of these renewable energy sources that that a lot of people are so pumped up about like you know we're having billions of taxpayer dollars going in to subsidize these these things that he talked about how wind energy has killed like over two million bats in the last 10 years and so so i think that this this term environmental justice is difficult and when people use it very often they're speaking very one-sidedly not realizing that this is a, a nuanced issue we didn't get into this problem overnight, and we're not going to get out of it overnight, but we have to be prepared to talk about it, right? When someone talks about, you know, environmental justice, and we and we say, hey, like, you know, we want to lower carbon as well, but if we, if we ban natural gas to homes in this area, what are we going to use for a backup source of energy? Well, you know, coal, 
Are we going to use you know natural gas at the at the the power plant level? Well, you know it's more efficient to bring that gas to a home than it is than using natural gas as the source energy to to create power. Because by the time you get through all the distribution and bring it to someone's house, your efficiency is in the toilet. And so the point is that it's a very nuanced issue, and we should not look at it necessarily as an us against them. We need to figure out how to win them to our side. We need to figure out how do we show that we're after the same thing and we can give them a better path forward. So I thought the conversation was just really, really important. Now, one thing that that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it is that actually next week, the Northeast HPBA has their spring conference. And, and this is going to be incredible. If you live anywhere in the northeastern part of the country, in New England in particular. It's going to be in Southbridge, Massachusetts, and you don't want to miss it. It's from May 1st to 3rd. The event is called The Path Forward. And on Sunday, they have a great golf outing, but jumping into it on Monday, there's manufacturer training, there's a retail roundtable, and they're going to be giving you updates on gas ban legislation. Now, the next day on Tuesday, man, they've got a roundtable conversation with Brett Watson from Yodel, VP Berger from HHT, John Zerwanka from Napoleon, Lucas Streitzman from Best Fire, and this is a loaded, loaded panel. And you're going to get some amazing insight into your own business and, and understanding how do we navigate the changes that are coming in our industry. Now, to register for this, you can go to nehpba.org slash calendar. That's nehpba.org slash calendar. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be at the Firetime Workshop in Seattle, Washington during this event. Otherwise, man, I mean, I would, I would try to find a way to get there. And, and you really need to if you live in the Northeast. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash it's firetime. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash it's firetime. And I know the conversation today is intense. I know that we're talking about issues that that on on one hand can seem like, oh, it's never going to happen here. And on the other hand, it can seem hopeless. And and I think that we should really we should really sit in that tension because I don't think it's hopeless unless we decide to do nothing. You know, there's a lot of things that are out of our control, but going forward today, you can decide to get involved and make a difference. And and I would just ask that you get informed about the issue. That you you call up your local HPBA affiliate, you you chat with them about where can I get involved, and honestly that. I would just start doing the research of like reading articles about our carbon output and about climate change and, and, and get informed about this because we have the ability to be a major part of the solution if we choose to be. But, but for some folks, they're, they're too busy with the day-to-day to do that, and I think that that is too bad. So my hope for you this week is that you find a way to get involved, you connect with your local HPBA affiliate, and you do something about it because this is something that we all need to be a part of. So with that, I'm going to jump out of the way. And as always, we'll be back next week with another episode. I hope you all have an incredible week. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.
Bye.